Section 27 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty Chris. The Family Horse by Frederick S. Cousins. I have bought me a horse. As I had obtained some skill in the menage during my younger days, it was a matter of consideration to have a saddle horse. It surprised me to find good saddle-horses very abundant soon after my consultation with the stage proprietor upon this topic. There were strange saddle-horses to sell almost every day. One man was very candid about his horse. He told me if his horse had a blemish, he wouldn't wait to be asked about it. He would tell it right out. And if a man didn't want him then, he needn't take him. He also proposed to put him on trial for sixty days, giving his note for the amount paid him for the horse, to be taken up in case the animal were returned. I asked him what were the principal defects of the horse. He said he'd been fired once because they thought he was spavined, but there was no more spavin to him than there was to a fresh-laid egg. He was as sound as a dollar. I asked him if he would just state what were the defects of the horse. He answered that he once had the pink eye, and added, Now that's honest! I thought so, but proceeded to question him closely. I asked him if he had the bots. He said, Not a bot. I asked him if he would go. He said he would go till he dropped dead. Just touch him with a whip, and he'll jump out of his hide. I inquired how old he was. He answered, Just eight years, exactly. Some men, he said, wanted to make their horses younger than they be. He was willing to speak right out and own up he was eight years. I asked him if there were any other objections. He said no, except that he was inclined to be a little gay. But, he added, he is so kind a child can drive him with a thread. I asked him if he was a good family horse. He replied that no lady that ever drew rein over him would be willing to part with him. Then I asked him his price. He answered that no man could have bought him for one hundred dollars a month ago, but now he was willing to sell him for seventy-five, on account of having a note to pay. This seemed such a very low price, I was about saying I would take him when Mrs. Sparrowgrass whispered that I had better see the horse first. I confessed I was a little afraid of losing my bargain by it, but, out of deference to Mrs. S., I did ask to see the horse before I bought him. He said he would fetch him down. No man, he added, ought to buy a horse unless he saw him. When the horse came down, it struck me that, whatever his qualities might be, his personal appearance was against him. One of his forelegs was shaped like the handle of our punch ladle, and the remaining three legs about the fetlock were slightly bunchy. Besides, he had no tail to brag of, and his back had a very hollow sweep from his high haunches to his low shoulder blades. I was much pleased, however, with the fondness and pride manifested by his owner, as he held up by both sides of the bridle the rather longish head of his horse, surmounting a neck shaped like a pea-pod, and said in a sort of triumphant voice, Three quarters blood! Mrs. Sparrowgrass flushed up a little when she asked me if I intended to purchase that horse, and added that, if I did, she would never want to ride. So I told the man he would not suit me. 
he answered by suddenly throwing himself upon his stomach across the backbone of his horse and then by turning round as on a pivot got up a straddle of him then gave his horse a kick in the ribs that caused him to jump out with all his legs like a frog and then off went the spoon-legged animal with a gait that was not a trot nor yet precisely pacing he rode around our grass plot twice and then pulled his horse's head up like a cock of a musket that said he is time i replied that he did seem to go pretty fast pretty fast said the owner well you know mr mentioning one of the richest men in our village i replied that i was acquainted with him well said he you know his horse i replied i had no personal acquaintance with him well said he he's the fastest horse in the county just so i'm willing to admit it but do you know i offered to put my horse agin his to trot i had no money to put up or rather to spare but i offered to trot him horse agin horse and the winner to take both horses and i tell you he wouldn't do it mrs sparrowgrass got a little nervous and twitched me by the skirt of the coat dear said she let him go i assured her that i would not buy the horse and told the man firmly i would not buy him he said very well if he didn't suit twas no use to keep a-talkin but he added he'd be down again with another horse next morning that belonged to his brother and if he didn't suit me then i didn't want a horse with this remark he rode off it rains very hard said mrs sparrowgrass looking out of the window next morning sure enough the rain was sweeping broadcast over the country and the four sparrowgrassi were flattening a quartet of noses against the window panes believing most faithfully the man would bring the horse that belonged to his brother in spite of the elements it was hoping against hope no man having a horse to sell will trot him out in a rainstorm unless he intend to sell him at a bargain but childhood is so credulous the succeeding morning was bright however and down came the horse he had been very cleverly groomed and looked pleasant under the saddle the man led him back and forth before the door there squires good a horse as ever stood on iron mrs sparrowgrass asked me what he meant by that i replied it was a figurative way of expressing in horse talk that he was as good a horse as ever stood in shoe-leather he's a handsome horse squire said the man i replied that he did seem to be a good-looking animal but said i he does not quite come up to the description of a horse i have read whose horse was it said he i replied it was the horse of adonis he said he didn't know him but he added there is so many horses stolen that the descriptions are stuck up now pretty common to put him at his ease for he seemed to think i suspected him of having stolen the horse i told him the description i meant had been written some hundreds of years ago by shakespeare and repeated it round-hoofed short-jointed fetlocks shag and long broad breast full eyes small head and nostrils wide high crest short ears straight legs and passing strong thin mane thick tail broad buttock tender hide squire said he that will do for a song but it ain't no pints for a good hoss trotters nowadays go in all shapes big heads and little heads big eyes and little eyes short ears or long ears 
thick tail and no tail, so as they have sound legs, good lin, good barrel, and good stifle, and wind squire, and speed well, they'll fetch a price. Now this animal is what I call a hoss, squire. He's got the pints, he's stylish, he's close-ribbed, a free-goer, kind in harness, single or double, a good feeder. I asked him if being a good feeder was a desirable quality. He replied it was. Of course, said he. If your horse is off his feet, he ain't good for nothing. But what's the use, he added, of me telling you the pints of a good horse? You're a horse man, squire, you know. It seems to me, said I, there is something the matter with that left eye. No, sir said he, and with that he pulled down the horse's head and rapidly crooking his forefinger at the suspected organ said, See thar, don't wink a bit. But he should wink, I replied. Not unless his eye are weak, he said. To satisfy myself, I asked the man to let me take the bridle. He did so, and as soon as I took hold of it, the horse started off in a remarkable retrograde movement, dragging me with him into my best bed of hybrid roses. Finding we were trampling down all the best plants that had cost at auction from three and sixpence to seven shillings apiece, and that the more I pulled, the more he backed, I finally let him have his own way, and jammed him stern foremost into our largest climbing rose that had been all summer prickling itself in order to look as much like a vegetable porcupine as possible. This unexpected bit of satire in his rear changed his retrograde movement to a sidelong bound by which he flirted off half the pots on the balusters, upsetting my gladioluses and tuberoses in the pod and leaving great splashes of mold geraniums and red pottery in the gravel walk. By this time his owner had managed to give him two pretty severe cuts with the whip, which made him unmanageable, so I let him go. We had a pleasant time catching him again when he got among the lima bean poles, but his owner led him back with a very self-satisfied expression. Playful, ain't he, squire? I replied that I thought he was and asked him if it was unusual for his horse to play such pranks. He said it was not. You see, squire, he feels his oats and hain't been out of the stable for a month. Use him and he's as kind as a kitten. With that, he put his foot in the stirrup and mounted. The animal really looked very well as he moved around the grass plot, and as Mrs. Sparrowgrass seemed to fancy him, I took a written guarantee that he was sound and bought him. What I gave for him is a secret. I have not even told Mrs. Sparrowgrass. We had passed Chicken Island, and the famous house with the stone gable and the one stone chimney in which General Washington slept, as he made it a point to sleep in every old stone house in Westchester County, and had gone pretty far on the road past the cemetery when Mrs. Sparrowgrass said suddenly, "'Dear, what is the matter with your horse?' As I had been telling the children all the stories about the river on the way, I managed to get my head pretty well inside of the carriage, and at the same time she spoke was keeping a lookout in front with my back. The remark of Mrs. Sparrowgrass induced me to turn about, and I found the new horse behaving in a most unaccountable manner. He was going downhill with his nose almost to the ground, running the wagon first on this side, then on the other. 
I thought of the remark made by the man, and turning again to Mrs. Sparrowgrass, said, Playful, isn't he? The next moment I heard something breaking away in front, and then the rockaway gave a lurch and stood still. Upon examination, I found the new horse had tumbled down, broken one shaft, gotten the other through the check rein so as to bring his head up with a round turn, and besides had managed to put one of the traces in a single hitch around his off-hind leg. So soon as I had taken all the young ones and Mrs. Sparrowgrass out of the rockaway, I set to work to liberate the horse, who was choking very fast with the check rein. It is unpleasant to get your fishing line in a tangle when you're in a hurry for bites, but I never saw fishing line in such a tangle as that harness. However, I set to work with a penknife and cut him out in such a way as to make getting home by our conveyance impossible. When he got up, he was the sleepiest-looking horse I ever saw. Mrs. Sparrowgrass, said I, won't you stay here with the children until I go to the nearest farmhouse? Mrs. Sparrowgrass replied that she would. Then I took the horse with me to get him out of the way of the children and went in search of assistance. The first thing the new horse did when we got about a quarter of a mile from the scene of the accident was to tumble down a bank. Fortunately, the bank was not over four feet high, but as I went with him my trousers were rent in a grievous place. While I was getting the new horse on his feet again, I saw a colored person approaching who came to my assistance. The first thing he did was to pull out a large jackknife, and the next thing he did was to open the new horse's mouth and run the blade two or three times inside the new horse's gums. Then the new horse commenced bleeding. "'Dassa,' said the man, shutting up his jackknife, "'if it had been for that, your horse would have been a goner.' "'What's the matter with him?' I said. "'Oh, he's only just got the blind staggers, that's all.' Say, said he, before I was half indignant enough at the man who sold me such an animal, Say, ain't your name Sparrowgrass? I replied that my name was Sparrowgrass. Oh, said he, I knows you. I brung some fowls once down to your place. I heard about you and your hoss. That's the hoss that got the he's so bad. <laughs> you better sell that hoss. I determined to take his advice, and employed him to lead my purchase to the nearest place where he would be cared for. Then I went back to the rockaway, but met Mrs. Sparrowgrass and the children on the road coming to meet me. She had left a man in charge of the rockaway. When we got to the rockaway, we found the man missing, also the whip, and one cushion. We got another person to take charge of the rockaway, and had a pleasant walk home by moonlight. I think a moonlight night delicious upon the Hudson. Does any person want a horse at a low price? A good, stylish-looking animal, close-ribbed, good loin and good stifle, sound legs, with only the heaves and blind staggers and a slight defect in one of his eyes? If at any time he slips his bridle and gets away, you can always approach him by getting on his left side. I will also engage to give a written guarantee that he is sound and kind, signed by the brother of his former owner. End of the Family Horse Reading by Marty Chris.